Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. We're going to turn our attention to biodiversity, uh, the measures that farmers are implementing to improve the quality of wildlife habitats and policy measures being developed. And today I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Dr. Catherine Keenan, Countryside Management Specialist with Chagask, who's going to talk to us today about the vital role hedgerows have to play in Ireland. Catherine, you're very welcome to our webinar today. Thank you, Mark. We're also joined by uh, Pat Murphy, who's head of the Chagas Knowledge Transfer Programme, uh, Environment Tra- Knowledge Transfer Programme. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning. So, uh, Catherine, you've been, uh, you've, you've, you've dedicated your, your career to date, really, on, on biodiversity and, uh, you know, encouraging farmers to uh, improve the, the, the measures that they take on their farms. Uh, and you've recently completed a study on, on uh, biodiversity at farms. Can you tell us a little bit about that and uh, the work that you've been doing? Um, yeah, well, I suppose I've been involved in hedges or ditches, as many people refer to them, um, for 25 years now, since the beginning of reps, since I returned from a stint in Wales as agricultural consultant. Um, so sometimes I think I have said too much about them. So today I'm going to keep it very simple because sometimes the simple facts get lost in the complexity of hedgerows and biodiversity. And um, you mentioned my own study. So I have a few findings that relate to hedgerows that I will speak about on that. It was, it was more general biodiversity, line, all linear, linear habitats. Great, great. Brilliant. Okay, well, look, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go straight into the presentation, I think. And um, if you could share your screen with us and uh, we we'll encourage people to, to send us your questions throughout the presentation and we'll try and get to as many of them as possible. Uh, throughout the session and uh, so Catherine I'll hand over to you and uh, looking forward to the presentation. Thank you Mark. Um, My title is the nature of Irish hedgerows, uh, nature meaning nature and um, the nature of the beast uh, in every way. I am going to deal with them under four headings, the value of hedgerows, quantity, quality, and management. The value, we have many, there are many values in hedgerows and the first one I'm speaking about is the biodiversity. And um, my graphic there comes from an article I, in today, this, this month's Today's Farm, the Chagas Magazine, uh, and the link is there for people if they want to look at it afterwards. Uh, I titled it The Secret Life of Irish Hedges because it is amazing to to know all the different um, flora and fauna that are involved in hedges. For example, of 110 birds that are regularly recorded in the Countryside Management, um, Countryside Bird Survey, uh, 55 use hedges, uh, 35 of them to nest um, and others for, you know, other uh, shelter, other purposes, feed, etc. our small mammals, all our mammals would use hedgerows, um, such as the hedgerow, the shrew, the pine marten, but, but deer, everything um, travels along hedgerows, uses them for shelter, food. Uh, they're important there. We have nine species of bats. A lot of them live in hedgerows, nest in, in, in trees. Not all, some of them use um, houses, 
but all of them will use hedgerows for traveling and for feeding on. Um, they do not cross a, a wide field. They will follow along linear habitats such as hedges. Um, similarly for bees, um, we have 77 solitary bees in Ireland, 21 bumblebees and one honeybee. Uh, we've got a lot of attention for our bees through the, the pollinator plan and um, they are, are provided this flowers in hedgerows. Hedgerows are an incredibly important source of, of pollen and nectar for the bees. Moths, um, which are out at night time, uh, in gen generally, we have over 1,400 species of moths, and again, um, they would be linked to hedges. Similarly for the butterflies, uh, 35 species of butterflies. Um, so it's amazing all the, all the flora and fauna that are um, associated with, with hedgerows. There is an interest in, at the present in foraging for food, and um, there are uh, species that people are still using for food from hedgerows. Uh, and I have examples there, the elder flower, elderberry, um, for the wine and the syrups, the, the, uh, the hazelnut, the crabapple, the bramble. Um, the rosehip, one interesting story that when I, I thought I was the only one when I was in national school that was sent out with a bag, all, the, all our school, um, to collect rosehips, which were, I presume they were made into um, vitamin C to send to, to Africa at the time. And I mentioned that at a few farmer meetings throughout the country and um, a certain generation of farmers, I was amazed, actually had a strong, vivid memory of that. And so it obviously happened throughout the country. So rose hips are, are, are a very good source of vitamin C. Uh, one interesting point there is the 119 native Irish flora have historically been used for food in Ireland. Um, that's that's all, all flora. And there's a very interesting book that just published um, last year, The Wild Food Plants of Ireland um, by Tom Curtis and Paul Whelan. And it's fascinating for anyone that has an interest in that. And it's, it's all about the Irish, the Irish plants. Hedges are a store of carbon. Um, hedges potentially sequester a half to 2.7 tons of carbon dioxide per year. Um, there is a lot we don't know. And the current uh, farm carbon project, I work with Lillian O'Sullivan in the Chagas Environment Soils and Land Use Department in Johnstown Castle. And that project is aiming to develop a growth model taking direct measurements of hedge biomass, along with assessing the impact of management on hedgerow biomass accumulation. So while we don't know, it's very obvious to um, that the two pictures below the heavily managed one and the unmanaged hedgerow, uh, it's quite likely that they will have different um, accumulations of, of carbon. So that study is underway and we'll be very eagerly waiting the results of that in, in time. Hedges protect water courses. Again, Ian Thomas, um, during the agricultural catchments, um, had a few papers and was, was found that hedgerows are, are mitotopographic features that block runoff and, and train dissolved pollutants from reaching the water body. Um, it's probably obvious, it, it's easy, it, it, it makes sense, it's obvious, so it's a very important um, function of hedgerows. 
shelter farmers like this one um, a number of farmers who have planted hedgerows in recent years um, have aimed them at the calves and the different places but uh, it is good for animal welfare um, it is nice to see on on a on any on any farm but even in a dairy paddock that they would at least have one hedge um, during every grazing good for animal welfare hedges are part of the um, are an integral part of the Irish landscape. Hedges and fields are complementary. One defines the other. They give character to a landscape. You can picture your own county, your own locality, your own townland, um, and it, 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 it does define the landscape. Um, part of our cultural heritage, heritage leading on from that, um, they're part of ancient history, our townland boundaries, the older hedgerows have been here for, for thousands of years. Um, and, and some of them are, are townland boundaries. Um, the newer ones, most of our hedgerows were planted only 200 years ago. But even um, when it comes to archaeological features, I think 200 years is kind of a figure that uh, we consider things to be archaeological as opposed to historical um, and even more important. Uh, local heritage, I think, is a point that again connects certain people. Um, it gives identity to townlands and farms the sense of place. Uh, one example of this is uh, in Tipperary, the Kickham Tree Project. Um, I was delighted to be um, so, uh, associated with my colleague Michael Summers there um, uh, during this year's Heritage Week, just the day before the lockdown, the latest um, restriction. Um, and we, uh, sorry, the, the Charles Kickham, who wrote, um, or the, uh, the, the song, Valley of Naman, and not the grow, um, walked out from Mulnahone along a hedgerow, and there was a particular tree in that hedgerow, an ash tree that he sat and did his writing. Um, so the local people there, the local farmers in that picture, um, were are, are very conscious of that, and they're they're talking about that. So that that's a very very important person, obviously, to have a a, a connection to a hedgerow. Um, but I do think that everybody listening here. Um, can probably think of, of hedges and possibly some that are now gone. I think of my own journey to school and the hedges that were there and in, in, uh, you know you would be very familiar with what's in them as you, because you're passing them every day. I am the apart from farmers a lot of, of hedgerows in that category where people are familiar with them uh, disappear because of linear development of housing and replaced by you know non-native species. So I think there's messages there for everybody. But we, we often don't value the common habitats such as the hedges. If we were beside, you know, perhaps a bog or the burren, we would say that's really special. Um, the hedgerow next to us is also important. And um, as I say, it's, it's, uh, sometimes it's that heritage aspect which draws in people there. On Rudd is Anif is Inthuk. Um, what is rare is wonderful, but let's not forget the common thing outside our own, our own gate. Right, moving on to quantity, um, a very interesting study uh, has been, sorry, that should be 2019, um, last year, our, uh, Stuart Green, again, our colleague working with through the EPA research, has come up with a figure of 689,000 kilometres of non-dry stone wall boundaries. So he could, he could identify this stone wall ones. Um, 
So we're talking largely hedgerows, also banks, but banks are also extremely important for biodiversity. And um, we assume carbon as well with their own flora. So it's it's a very interesting. And there is a study there without looking at the figures. It, it's just I have the the you can look up the the, the, the booklet yourself. It's a very interesting one, and it, it's on a county basis. And what it also gives us is the is the unshared and the shared and the internal hedgerows which are very, very um, significant differences when it comes to management. Um, I think we always need to acknowledge that there's a, a three types of, of hedgerows on a farm when it comes to management. We'll come to that later. Um, the occurrence of the boundaries, again, from this, uh, the, this study in the Lucas um, that data set, it shows generally what we probably know, but with the, where definitely what we know with the, where the dry stone walls are in the west. Um, but interesting there, the unmanaged and the managed hedgerows, um, what it was picking up. So again, has implications for management at a, at a national scale. With regard to quantity, um, quantities obviously depends on new ones being added, but also ones being taken away. Um, under the EIA Agriculture Regulations uh, 2011, the, um, if a farmer is removing more than 500 metres, or which is more likely to happen first, create a new field that is more than five hectares, um, they must look for permission from um, the Department of Agriculture. And the, um, the in, in about 80, 90 per year there are per year there have are sorry that's not the figure but it's actually a similar number because um, most of them in general are approved some are are not approved um, so they, they can be removed if if they get permission however um, a second one which is is a separate um, a separate comes under a separate heading because it's not a law it, it's, it's not a regulation it's a, it comes under cross compliance is our landscape features so where a farmer removes hedges and drains um, or drains a placement a replacement hedge or drain of similar length must be planted at a suitable location on the holding in advance of the removal of the existing hedge or drain um, to me, that came in since in 2009, and um, I found that to be extremely uh, useful because it makes people think twice before they remove, consider removing hedges. Do I really, really want to remove it? Um, and if I do, I, sh I must um, plant the same length again. Obviously, the new hedge, uh, um, as I alluded to earlier, is not as valuable as the older hedge, um, but there's a place for everything on the farm. Um, and so that's the, the cross compliance regulation. Uh, the quantity, again, we can measure uh, from studies like that. We can go from the maps, etc. cetera. Uh, just in my study, I came up with a very um, simple way of kind of evaluating. If I was talking to an advisor or a farmer, am I looking at a, far, a, a, a farm that looks like the picture on the right or on the left? Um, so my study was on 149 dairy farms in County Waterford, and uh, the average field size was just over five hectares, but the range was tremendous, and they weren't outliers. It was a fairly uh, the normal curve of um, the smallest average field size per farm uh, being 1.17 hectares, and the largest being 37 hectares. So you're talking about 100 acre fields, which are not uncommon. I mean, they are there. Uh, we've all seen them. 
Um, what was interesting about this, and it has been used in one of the EIP projects, is to get a very quick snapchat, snapshot of which farm you're talking about. To get that average feed size, rather than going to a map, um, which is a perfectly accurate way of doing it, by asking the farmer two questions, I was very, I'm very confident that I get um, the right answer. So if every farmer knows how many acres they own or hectares, so 100 acres, given a minute or two, um, every farmer can think, can, will come up with how many fields they have. You can see them going through it in their, he in their head, in their in picture in the fields. So if they have 10 fields, it's a very simple calculation. It's, it's obviously including all boundaries, so it may not, uh, all permanent boundaries. Now we're not talking um, temporary electric fences. So it's just a very quick Snapchat, uh, snapshot, as said, of, of, of coming up with a figure there that to me is extremely important. And it can be the elephant in the room when we're talking about hedgerow management. There's not much talking about, hedge, there's not much point in talking about hedgerow management um, with the farm on the right-hand side there, uh, because there are no hedgerows. Uh, the another thing I asked the farmers was uh, by showing them these four pictures, I got their preference for the farming platform structure. Now, this is not talking about um, quality of uh, land or anything like that. But again, uh, interestingly enough, the first one uh, was the kind of the, no, the landscape C there, which had some trees and hedges. Um, very narrowly followed behind by the, the number two, which was the very neat, low, short back and sides, no trees. Um, uh, and then the dairy prairie, number three, and then number four, the very traditional landscape. That was their preference. So that, that um, bodes kind of good because, um, you know, people are happy, I think, if their structure was right, uh, I think they will, farmers, dairy farmers will live with um, more hedgerows. Um, if we can, if we can encourage them that way, and because of what they prefer, it doesn't always show what what's on the ground because they can inherit things. Things can happen for other reasons, but it is an indicator of where the landscape will go to. Um, if you know, other things been equal, if they have the money to either plant or take out hedgerows. Another finding was the role, the critical role of contractors. Eighty-five percent of farmers used contractors for hedge cutting um, and uh, of whom 49% left the decision to the contractor um, on how to cut. So the, the farmer, farmers in general think the contractors know best, the contractors um, are, are doing what they think the farmer wants. Um, it's not always a very enlightened discussion, Francis Quigley, that's his one message to everybody is to talk and find out what, what, you, what you want when you're talking to, um, to contractors to, or to, for the contractor to ask the farmer what they want. And so I think the farmer is doing, it, 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 the contractor is doing what he thinks the farmer wants. Um, the farmer is, is doing what, they're both actually doing what they think the neighbours and the, the broader society want. So I think it's very important, um, which is why we try to move outside the farming community when, with, with our hedgerow messages, because, you know, I can think back to a generation close to myself, uh, close to my, my, my own family of elderly people who, when they see um, anything other than a low, neat hedgerow, it's a sign of a bad farmer. 
um, and the low neat tidy hedgerows is definitely a good farmer. So we have to we have to educate that low neat and tidy um, is not good for biodiversity. Um, and, and coming on to that, the tidiness, my point I keep uh, trying to stress is the quest for neatness should not override ecological considerations. That's so important. I gave it a slide to itself. And uh, finally, on the study was the role of knowledge exchange. Um, the farmers sourced their environmental information from their traditional sources of agricultural information. So I think it's it has it's highlighted for me uh, that the network of agricultural advisors are key to improve hedgerow management. The farmer is more likely to listen to the advisor than listen to an article that I write or that somebody who's promoting hedgerows um, is saying what to do. So there's a key, the contractors and the advisors are key to, um, we need to engage them to understand what to do. Quality, uh, the age of the hedge, obviously more species. Um, you can see the fungi there. The variety of species, we have about only, only about 20 native um, uh, shrubby tree species, um, but obviously they're not all in hedgerows and whatever we have, we, we have. But when, when it's coming to new ones, we can talk about it. Uh, and native species, really important. Um, the work has always been there that the, the willows, the oaks, the native species have, are, have much more associated biodiversity and are in tune with them once they're the native and the native provenance species that have been here for 10,000 years are in tune with um, with the associated biodiversities, the, the buds open just as the, the moths and the insects are uh, coming to get the food. Uh, the native hedge species, the thorn species, you can't go wrong with them um, for stock proofness plus everything else, they do everything. Uh, the white thorn, the black thorn, the holly, the white thorn also, some people call it uh, hawthorn, but a survey we did a number of years ago at the ploughing um, with a large number of farmers, 75% of farmers call it white thorn. So, um, you know, sometimes in books it's called hawthorn, but I particularly like to use the local lingo for all of these. Um, now uh, we can we can go to the shuck, the, 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 um, but it, the um, uh, skiak, sorry, the skiak, but it's skiak is thorn, so it covers both black thorn and white thorn, so it's not maybe as useful. Um, other native hedging species, Gelderose spindle, uh, the native privet now, providing it's not the one, the garden privet, and the uh, hazel there, they are good in a hedgerow, they tolerate uh, trimming, and then we have the climbers, the, the blackberry, the, the woodbiner, honeysuckle, dog rose. I suppose um, what's, what's not there then is the smooth stem species um, like the ash, the oak, the birch. They're, if far if if they if they they can belong in a hedge, but what happens sometimes people think only of those as trees and they leave out the flowering ones. And also, if they if it's being if it's a smooth stem species like those, they need to be left grow as a tree rather than um, cut as a hedgerow, where the species I'm showing there tolerate both. Uh, the, the farming platform structure, the linear habitats. Uh, this, so much evidence that how important, much more important they are um, than area-based habitats because they have a greater edge to area ratio. Um, however, a linear habitat with, with individual dead ends, an individual length of hedge with dead ends um, is so, so good. 
far more better if there's a corridor network uh, with you know networks for nature and corridors of movement for the birds, the bats, and everything I talked about. Um, but even more important then is if we have a mosaic of hedgerows linking habitats, T junctions, intersections, and linking in with other habitats. That's a high quality farming platform structure. Um, uh, hedge height, birds will not nest in a hedgerow unless it's over 1.5 meters high. Uh, they know that uh, the magpies are the birds of prey. We get them if they're up near the top. The fox will get them if they're near the bottom. They need to be buried in a hedgerow. So everybody, if, if you walk along, you won't find nests in the winter when you can see these things at, at ground level. So we need the hedges to be, otherwise they are not fit for birds. Uh, similarly for the bees, bees need flowers. If we have hedgerows without flowers, they are no good for bees. And similarly, the bee, the flowers then lead on to the fruit for the for the, the for the birds and the small animals. So for a for a hedgerow fit for birds and bees, we need the height and the flowers. Hedge management, uh, moving on to that, uh, depends on hedge type. These two hedgerows were planted way back, but the very same in the same uh, era, the same time, same type of hedge, uh, white thorn hedge. Um, uh, managed totally different and have ended up with a totally different structure. Um, both have advantages and disadvantages there. Um, so this is where we really need to understand um, how, he how hedgerows grow. Um, hedges are man-made, so it's not like a bog, it's not like a species-rich grassland that have kind of evolved um, semi-naturally. Hedge hedges are, are man-made and they need management if we want to keep them as a hedge. Um, and we must all understand the apical dominance so that when the little um, white thorn shrub is planted there, um, if the top is, is, if, is left grow, it, it, un, un, unmanaged, it, will, it wants to turn into a, an individual white thorn tree with a, with a, a single bowl and uh, a canopy, uh, you know, a top heavy canopy. Um, so that's what we're working with or against, depending on what we want. And there's no right or wrong here, um, but it is very important to understand what, are we, what do we want when we talk about, there is not a one size fit all for managing hedgerows. Um, but to keep, this is where it gets complex. So in an effort to make it simple and to have rules that work, that, that, um, that are not, will never leave you wrong. Um, we've divided hedgerows into three categories. Those with a dense base, uh, relict and escaped. So the dense base hedgerow, um, it, it's, it's, it, it says what it is, what it says, um, a big thick uh, growth at the base. Uh, very good for, for nesting birds. Side trim to a triangular profile from a wide base, leaving the peak as high as possible with occasional trees, including thorns at irregular intervals. Um, the, the peak, again, a variety is the spice of life with everything um, with biodiversity. So the, the height, it, it, if we want to stop it turning into the, the line of trees, um, the apical dominance must be kept, it must be nipped at the top and the highest then is whatever the hedge, uh, the arm of the, the, the flail can reach, so probably 15 feet or so. Um, 
again if there's some lower on the farm that's fine but um you, you know the higher the bulkier the better from a biodiversity point of view and possibly from a carbon the relic hedge is this beautiful hedge it's the one on the picture postcards of ireland it's full of fruit and berries there um the temptation is to say it's no good we've got to say that's absolutely incredible landscape feature beautiful leave it alone fence it off um but do not interfere with the hedge it, you'll, it will possibly die the escaped hedge is at a different stage it could be rejuvenated or it can be left grow on to be in the the the, the, the line of trees um or whatever okay uh, what we don't want is inappropriate management so uh, again we, to understand the way the, tr the white thorn or any of the trees grow wherever you cut the the thorn it will sprout so if it's cut at that level there we'll end up with um, neither a tree nor a hedge toilet brush hedges um, it pulls all the growth up to where you cut it um, and then it, yeah the management um, so what we recommend is a variety of um of, of different hedgerows um, on, on the farm and, and there my little picture is meant to show we, ideally they would have some relic hedgerows some new hedgerows thorn trees retained tall triangular profile um, hedges with a dense base escaped hedgerows but nothing been done wrong there at least everything has been managed for for what it it, it can get out of it um Great, Catherine. Thank you so much for that. Excellent presentation. Um, we are uh, getting lots of interesting questions coming through here. Um, just uh, looking at the, your, your inter <laughs> interesting description there of the, the, the toilet brush hedge. I've, I've, I've heard you refer that to, uh, to that uh, many occasions. I think it's a great app, uh, description of it. Uh, the, uh, how are we doing, you know, hedgerows, obviously they're a habitat for many bird species in Ireland. How are we doing in terms of farmland bird populations in the country and, you know, our, our efforts to, uh, to provide habitat for, because ultimately that's what I suppose a lot of the, the, the biodiversity work is about, isn't it? It's about uh, providing habitat uh, for, for mammals and bird species. Yeah, I suppose the hedgerow one birds tend not to be the ones on the on the red list. There are other categories more critical. Um, but I suppose to me, biodiversity, every townland, every every location deserves to have its own biodiversity. Um, so, you know, we, we need we need them all. Um, and now that's not to say that some of them the other hammer is not doing as well as it has but you know in general it's not this is why they're not designated mark if we had if it was a hen harrier or, or a curlew or whatever there would be major programs mm -hmm. so the hedgerows are the common habitat um that's that you know and we don't want them to be designated but we want them to be appreciated sure sure and and, and in terms of the, the work that Chagas is doing, you showed a picture of the, 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 um, the course that we did with contractors last year. What sort other sort of um, actions are, are happening with farmers? And, and indeed, I know there's, there's work going on in the colleges as well around uh, the importance of hedgerows. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, last year we had our first hedgerow week and we focused on the management of existing hedgerows. Um, this year, our hedgerow week is the uh, 7th to the 11th of December and we are hoping to focus on we are going to focus on planting hedgerows 
and we're going to involve experts from all the different, um, my talk there, all the different values who can uh, give us the, the experts on each of those topics, the birds, the, the bees, the, the carbon, all, all that side of it. So that's, that's one major one for, for this audience we'll be very interested in. On the ground with advisors, um, the, the discussion group to me is the key and my, my study developed this biodiversity management practice index of which hedgerows is one feature, the others being watercourses and uh, field margins. And it's a tool that an agricultural advisor can pick up, ask eight questions back of the envelope um, in a discussion group. And if you score one and I score eight, or the other farmer scores eight, it opens the topic for discussion. Um, so hedgerows is one part of that, watercourses, and it's the, it's the common um, linear habitats on intensive farmland. So it will work very well in our discussion group. So we're, we're, we're rolling that out, Mark. Um, so that will hopefully have a huge benefit in that the right person is telling the farmer the right thing. Very good. And hedgerows, I, I mean, we talk about a lot in, in the context of biodiversity, but I mean, they're also an important feature in the landscape for, you know, slowing down water, um, erosion, sediment loss as well. Um, I see that that is a prescription in many agri-environmental schemes in, in the UK, for example, where they do have a, a serious issue with erosion. Um, yeah, yeah, as I mentioned, the agricultural catchments showed the, the, the importance of a catchment, a hedged catchment, um, it being very important for, for, uh, for water quality. And our ASAP colleagues in, 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 are, are very conscious of, of hedgerows mm -hmm. for both the biodiversity and the protecting the watercourse. Yeah. So I, I take it that they will still form an integral part of any future agri-environmental schemes uh, reps, there was a huge amount of planting done during that scheme, and uh, I would hope so. I would hope so, and I. But I think again, before we before we create any habitat, we need to ensure that we're managing the existing ones correctly. Um, so that that would be a key message, I think, to to manage existing ones, and then and again focus on maybe where we need to plant them. You mentioned the hedgerows. I've also mentioned the average field size. Um, because we had criticism in the past with a farm who was full of hedgerows way back, who, who was, it was suggested to plant hedgerows, didn't make sense. Other farms, it makes huge sense. So I think we need to understand a little bit more about um, why we're planting them and for what purpose then when it comes to picking the, the species and the management afterwards. <clears throat> There's not one size fits all, um, but it, it's... it's, it's it's not just a case of uh, the same management suits all either. Uh, I see a few comments coming in around the, the rose hips. People uh, have, have uh, family relations who have sent rose hips off to, to, to Africa. So, uh, so, so certainly that's, that's aging them like me. <laughs> Had some interesting questions coming through, through there in, in relation to hedgerow. Yeah, I think uh, I suppose uh, possibly a, a few of the questions pointing to issues coming up in, in future policy that obviously we're not going to be able to say what's going to happen, but we might give hints of, of direction. Uh, will hedgerows be part of, of proposed biodiversity audits? Uh, what other uh, habitats might be included? And will there be a focus on, on uh, quality as opposed to just, just quantity in terms of, of management? I suppose all I can say, I would hope so to all of those, Pat. Um, yeah, I would hope so. Uh, all in the right place, in the right way. Yeah. 
and it, with and with the right education, Pat. As I said, I've been speaking for 25 years about hedges, and I don't think I've always got my message across. Very good. Uh, just a, another one on the specific do's and don'ts in relation to hedgerows, uh, specifically for pollinators. What can we do, and are there things that maybe farmers are doing in terms of management of their hedgerows that would be specifically frowned upon if you want from if, if you're a pollinator? Well, it's so easy. Bees need flowers. If there's no flowers, there's no bees. So however you get them, um, there are different ways. I, again, I think this is where it's down to the farmer, whether they go for the pro approach of leaving them um, unmanaged um, fully, uh, turning into you know, relic hedgerows or a linear woodland. Um, that would suit some. It should suit, hopefully it would suit some hedgerows on every farm. Um, and for the, the hedgerows that farmers want to maintain, um, provided they leave occasional flowering trees in the hedgerow. The ash has always been the favourite. Rex did great work in getting farmers to leave, encouraging farmers to leave trees in hedgerows. And the most popular by far was the ash uh, with, good, with, good, um, with good reason, the hurleys and the firewood. Um, and what, what we missed up to lately was to keep talking about the thorn tree um, causes no problem for the hedge. Um, so, and it's there, it, we, we should not be planting trees in hedgerows. We should allow the, the white thorn in the hedge, white thorn, black thorn, holly to grow up. And um, then farmers say it'll be crooked. So what the birds and bees don't mind, um, we're not talking about, you know, growing a specimen tree. So there's some very simple things um, there. So, but however you get to it, and then of course we're into the margins, which we won't touch on too much today. We'll be talking about them more next week. Um, but the, the there can be flowers at the base of the hedgerow, so I wasn't. I'm you know leaving the right margin there as well. There is legislation protecting hedgerows, uh, Catherine, isn't there? Uh, there's there's a sorry. Um, well, the EIA, I suppose, Mark. Um, is but in that terms of hedgerow referring? cutting season and so oh, forth. Oh, I beg your pardon. And that's a good point, Mark, because that's why we're here today and I forgot to mention it. Um, yeah, the September, six months on, six months off. So from now, from September, which is why we're we big focus on hedges this week. Um, so thanks for reminding me. Um, yeah, there's been no change. There was a bit of confusion. Uh, there was talks about extending it, but it hasn't been. So we're first of September on. Um, Again, a big discussion about do you, should you leave them until spring um, if it's in your control and if it suits, if, you're, if you are going to be cutting berries. But I suppose the hedges that I'm talking about, that I see being cut in the right way, um, they don't have much fruit on them because you're cutting uh, more frequently. You will only get the fruit and flowers in the mature specimen tree. Um, so side trimming the, the base is not a problem and providing you leave the, the occasional trees full of fruit and flowers. Um, but if you can leave the cutting until February, until the last moment, but that is not practical for all contractors. Um, and it's not as critical. The, the timing, the um, method uh, is far more important as to how it's done from now until the end of February. Because I know there is a view there that uh, some people would say, well, let's have a, a bushy uh, a hedgerow and allow those fruit to, to grow and uh, uh, to, to allow some encroachment into the field. Um, 
if that's that's fine that's one 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 way of doing it um what i worry about is where a hedgerow is not cut for a few years and then the flail cannot cut it and the circular saw is not a common um it's for reshaping it's not common out there it's not as common it's not so it's to me a little and often at the base of the hedgerow i've seen hedgerows where the wire has been taken down a hedgerow that we featured um before and when the wire was taken down i was um, so delighted that the farm never put it back up again but he does cut the the the, the base the, the side now it's 15 16 foot high and um, so plenty of of stuff in it um but keeping the 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 base dense is very important if we're trying to avoid for stop proofness for the wire so it's really you really need to think what if you're happy to fence it off and leave it grow wild that's perfectly fine mark so it's not the same for for every hedge it's whatever you want okay pat has some more questions okay. coming through there yeah there's a uh, i suppose that, uh, can you hear me yes we yeah. can yeah. okay sorry I, I think i'm my connection is not great today uh there's a, 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 a question there in relation to uh, how do we measure our, our biodiversity uh, and what level of measurement is, is going on uh, on a, a progressive basis. And I suppose we have the Biodiversity Data Centre, which is our, our primary measuring. But just to make people aware, I think, of what measurement is going on and maybe some of the key directions that, are, are, that we're seeing with our biodiversity. Yeah, well, I suppose the just on the hedgerow one, the work that um, the Stuart Green that mapping is incredibly um, important, uh, I, 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 useful tool for for you know calculating where we're at and and changes at a at a national level. Um, That's using we, satellite uh, imagery, is that right, Catherine? Yes, yes, Mark. Yeah, yes. Um, then but, we have. But I think I suppose. That the, what, the, what the question was getting at is the actual uh, is the, the outcome of it, the, 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 the biodiversity of the species, the measurement of those, not just of the habitats. Yeah, yeah. well, the Countryside Bird Survey is one that's wi widely acknowledged as, as um, you know, tracking the birds and the different categories. So that's and there, there, so there are lots of individual species being tracked. Um, you know, this fantastic work, we'd say, with the, the scientific recording of the Hen Harrier, um, now linked to the Hen Harrier um, EIP. Um, so it's similar. So individual species then would be recorded. And of course, all the designated habitats um, are, are um, uh, recorded regularly. So the, the designated habitats would be looked after an individual, especially species on the, on the, the annex species that are under threat. Um, so maybe some of the more common ones, then it tends to can fall to surveys or different, you know, but there's an awful lot of work going on, um, even through the EIPs and um, the universities, yeah. individually, maybe more so. Catherine, there's also, um, isn't the Chagas National Farm Survey now including biodiversity indicators in its, uh, the survey that it does, the sustainability assessment? I, I believe there's a, uh, they're, they're trying to develop uh, indicators there to improve uh, the, the, I suppose, the, the, are, are to monitor the trends in, in farm biodiversity. Uh, I know it's at an early stage, but uh, this is something that's uh, hopefully going to be referenced across Europe as well. 
Yeah, well, the, the questions, the eight questions in my biodiversity management practice index were asked in the National Farm Survey for the whole country. And um, myself and Anne Markey from UCD and uh, Jim Kinsella and the, the, and the people in Athenry were, were going to National Farm Survey. People were going to write up that soon. So that will be a national level of where I did mine. But then that could be asked again in a few years time if, if we found, you know, if, if they, that would be one measure um, of, of uh, biodiversity management practice. So that would again get to the average uh, farm size. So it's, a, so it's an indirect um, measure of hedgerow length. Mm -hmm. Good. There's, there's a lot of questions around the general area of the, the regulatory uh, issues around removal and replacement of, of, of hedgerows. Are there sanctions uh, for farmers? I think we rightly see uh, in in media a lot of attention where there are where there are cases of uh, hedgerows being removed, but uh, there's I suppose a, sometimes a media which says that there's whole scale removal of of hedgerows. You might get you to comment on on what your feeling in relation to those issues are. Yeah, well, I mentioned. I mean, I've been working on hedgerows a long time, and until there was always the you know, the, the law is one thing, but it's, it's, it's unlikely people are going to be brought to court for, you know, I remember reading back in the early 2000s, you know, about a, a judge, you know, even not taking it seriously. So it, it is very difficult. But what is powerful is the cross-compliance. Um, every farm, you know, is 5% of farms get inspected. They're likely to get inspected. So for both the um, removal of hedgerows and also now for the cutting. Um, so rather than um, the farmer going to prison, there's a, there's a financial penalty and it's small and it gets bigger as it goes. So nobody ignores um, the cross compliance. So I think it's very good at the moment. It, it has taken a while perhaps for everybody to become aware of it, but advisors are very aware of um, advising farmers not to do anything with hedgerows now without, you know, Checking. So I think there's great protection there now, Pat. There's, there's, um, you know, it's, it's not a you can't remove everything, which is possibly a good way because if, if it's very black, you black and white that nothing can ever move again. Maybe that's not what we want. Um, so it, you have to plant again. It's great to have new hedgerows coming on if you do remove them. Um, so I think it's at quite a good stage of the removal side. And the management is the side I would like to, to um, focus more on. Specific question okay, there's, there's in relation to the, right. the, uh, the, the, the types of species that you'd recommend in a, a hedgerow uh, question here. Would you encourage farmers to plant rowan, wild cherry, holly, white beam, elder, alder and spindle into existing and new hedgerows? Um, existing hedgerows, I've found very little success over the years. Um, they're dry, they're inhospitable, it can be done. I would far prefer to plant, you know, a corner of trees in, in, in uh, uh, you know, uh, it's easier and it, they'll be more effective. And we, again, we don't, we can leave existing shrubs grow up within the hedge. So I'm not a big fan of planting within the hedgerow. Um, your question was if you were planting a new hedgerow, um, I will be sticking to the basics for it. Again, it's what do you want? A simple white thorn hedge um, with a dense base and allowing the flowers in it is valuable. Um, you can add, add to that 
um, by putting some of the species. Now, I wouldn't, the ones you mentioned there, again, are only suitable if they're left as trees. Our, hedge, our old hedgerows in, throughout the country, are, the structure has been destroyed where we'll say ash trees have been cut at the, the tree foot high. And then they're, 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 they, they spread out, they're neither a hedge nor a tree. So um, only plant those species, the, the, um, the rowan, the birch, some of the other ones you mentioned. So other than that, I only plant those if you're going to leave them as an individual tree. Um, you mentioned ash there, Catherine. I mean, ash dieback is, is having a major impact on uh, plantations and hedgerows. I mean, what do you see the future there? Uh, are, are there going to be, I know there's some work going on in Chagask in Ashtown there to, to look at new resistant species. But aside from that, I mean, is that going to have a major impact on, on hedgerows across Ireland? I suppose we don't know. And I certainly don't know, Mark. Um, we hope for the best, hope that there's resistance. And that uh, Kickham Tree project that I mentioned from the heritage point of view, Michael Summers has also um, found ash trees, very, very old ash trees there that have not succumbed and they're, they're going taking grafts and breeding from them. So look, there's a whole, it's another whole world. I don't know, I hope, we hope, but at the moment we're, we're not planting ash trees. Okay, um, just a, a question, and you mentioned food source earlier, but uh, and a question I suppose is is cutting of hedges early in the autumn damaging uh, to food sources, and I suppose uh, allied to that is what's the normal timing that farmers actually do go out while they're allowed to go out for September. What is the normal uh, timing that hedges are actually cut? Um. It's very much from September. Contractors are ready, eager, and obviously it's their business and their time frame, window, weather, etc. So, and you can see from my figures there the large amount of um, farmers who use contractors. So it is very much, I would say, it's, it's spread through, and and it's it really weather dependent. Pat, so September would be a very popular month for going. Um, again look at what you're cutting. If you're only cutting um, the hedgerows that are routinely cut, giving them a light cut every year and still maintaining your fruiting species, you know, okay, occasional ones. So not all hedge cutting um, removes species, it removes fruit. And, um, and equally then the ones, if you leave, you know, the very short back and sides that we've seen, if they were left grow, there would still be no fruit in them for years. So we need to be really think about the hedge before we cut it. Are we, what are we cutting? Um, because it, there's two totally different answers there. As I said, leaving one hedge will give us nothing and leaving a tree in another hedge will give us a huge amount. And a related question, just asking, are there programs uh, with uh, contractors to improve their understanding of the, of the value of hedgerows. Yeah, well, myself and Francis Quigley work work for, work closely. He's the Chagask machinery specialist, and they were extremely involved in hedgerow week last year, and will be again this year. Um, so, and and to be, I mean, I've I've worked with contractors for years. We started way back in the thousands with Tom Ryan, and contractors will do whatever they are paid to do. So I, I have never have a problem provided if the farmer wants to do it. It's it's a mis a lack of communication, lack of, you know, if, the, if, 
if they're being paid and they're asked to, to do anything, they will do it. But they take such a pride in their work. And up to now, it has been how level can you put a level on top of the hedge? That's the judge of a good, um, you know, a good, a, a skilled man that, that, that's, that's doing it. Um, so, yeah, we're really important. Tidy towns, everybody involved in hedgerows, because hedgerows are one that, that bridge the farming and the, the you know, the, with certainly the towns, communities. Um, so it's and, and I know there's a lot of interest here from the county councils and the heritage officers, uh, you know, are, are, are on this and, uh, you know, we, we're working with them and I think we could do, we'll work more with them at county level, maybe when we're having an event, um, we need to be getting the same message to the farmer and the non-farmer in the locality. Catherine, we, we, we spent a lot of our earlier uh, webinars looking at the whole climate uh, side of, of agriculture, climate change impacts and so forth. Um, you mentioned the project that's uh, being under, you're working with Johnston Castle on. Uh, are there any, do we, have, do we have any indications of the potential of hedgerows in terms of carbon sequestration? I, I know you showed some figures there. I mean, is that, is that something that can be included in, in, in the inventory uh, for, for Ireland to, to, to show as an offset? It's not at the moment, but, and again, I hope, I hope it would, Mark, yeah, and we need the facts and figures. And um, you see, hedgerows, I suppose, in Europe aren't uh, um, a major habitat, a major structure here in the UK, but hedgerows are not everywhere. So we need to be leading the way on, 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 that, on that topic. Okay, and how long is that project set to last for, Catherine? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very good. Okay, uh, we're coming close to the end of the, uh, the, the webinar now. Uh, Pat, are we any last few questions there? Yeah, there's a, 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 a few questions on, on topics that were, were dealt with a, li a little bit. And one is, is there any recommendation for planting uh, species to help prevent? Okay, we're, we're losing you, Pat. And uh, flooding and water runoff, and is there, I suppose, any particular? Uh, you're losing me. Just in relation to uh, preventing flooding and and uh, preventing losses to okay, water. Okay, well, if we're talking flooding, we're talking wet areas. So willow and alder, um, really good, and and again, you know, yeah. So it's soil type, and and so again, the simple message for for without being an expert is look around your locality, look around the field, what is growing well. That's what um, we recommend to plant. Okay, um, Pat, we might we may not okay. uh, tempt fate any further with your 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 line there. Um, I think it has gotten us through the 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 the, the, the important parts. So, um, Catherine. Okay. Um, I, I thank you for your excellent presentation and you have been uh, coordinating this month of uh, the, the, the biodiversity uh, months that we're having on the webinar series. Do you want to tell us about some of the, the, the speakers that we have coming uh, over, over the next number of weeks? Can you put it up on screen there, Mark? Or, um, I can, I know yes. next, next week, Lorna Cole um, from Shuk in Scotland is uh, talking about... Uh, field margins. I heard her speaking on an international pollinator uh, conference and it was just fascinating and so practical. Um, some fascinating facts uh, coming, uh, what she has. So very much following on from mine is kind of the linear side of it. Um, 
John and Dara are on, John Finn and Dara Hulikon from Johnstown Castle are the following week. Um, what's our title there, Mark? Can you yeah, see it? It's a, a biodiversity on farmland, current status, policy impacts, farm yeah. scale responses. Excellent. So I know they talk from the beginning of policy right down to the practical side. So, and there's so much changes there with the, uh, the farm to fall and the EU biodiversity strategy that are um, directing all of our work. So that will be extremely important. And I think the, the one that then we have Jane Stout uh, talking about NACCA from Trinity College Dublin, uh, talking about NACCA capital and how we value biodiversity um, at, at a national level and all levels. Um, yeah, okay, no, and then we have a very interesting one from, from uh, Maria Long from National Parks and Wildlife Service on semi-natural grassland the first week of October. It's not showing up in our September series, but right. it will kick off our, our biodiversity ones nicely. Super, super. Yeah, no, looks like a really interesting lineup. Okay, I think we, we'll wrap things up at, the, at this point. Catherine, thanks so much for that excellent presentation. Pat, thanks for, for helping out. Um, I just so want to... Apologies about the line. No, no, it's, it's, it was fine. It was fine. Um, and I want to say a special thank you to our production team, the people who you don't see behind the scenes. Uh, they, they include Andy Boland, uh, Yvonne Maher, and Noel Meehan has also uh, been involved in our series. So we, we do hope to see you next week. For our next week, we'll be talking to Lorna Cole from SRUC in Scotland, as Catherine uh, pointed out earlier on there. Uh, we do encourage you, if you get a chance, to fill out our short survey at the end of the, the, uh, the webinar. And uh, we uh, thank you again for your uh, continued viewing. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. So with that, thanks again. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.